0: It's good to have you here. It's good to be together, even through this format. I want to start with two things. Uh, First of all, thank you, worship team. We appreciate them. And I don't know if you know uh, just the transformation that has taken place in our production. Uh, It's absolutely phenomenal. You know, you're looking at me in the camera. You can't see all the moving parts that are behind the cameras. And I want to give a shout out, and I want to invite you to do the same to encourage our media team. And that's uh, our worship pastor, Josh Rogers, Jackson Scanlon, Brittany Menzies, Brittany Krebs, Ishmael Encarnado. It's incredible uh, the work that they have done to allow us to do this. And I want to say thank you, and again, I invite you to say thank you. I also want to wish you a blessed Memorial Day. It's this weekend, tomorrow, that we stop and reflect those that we've lost. And so what I pray for you is that you just be flooded with beautiful, beautiful memories. And if that happens to be a veteran, I know we pay particular attention to our veterans at this time. I want to say I am grateful. Uh, So if you're directly impacted by a veteran who paid the ultimate price, uh, we're all indirectly impacted by that, I want to say thank you. So today, we're going to talk about true faith. In the book of James, we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. So you get there. I want to start by looking at where we've been in our series on James. Now, we started off our series by looking at the life of James and who was the author of this letter. And it was James, uh, the brother of Jesus, who started off with no faith, thought Jesus was crazy. And then when he saw the resurrected Jesus, uh, he got faith. He became a true follower of Jesus. In fact, and he grew and matured to where he was a leader of the church. He was called a pillar of the early church, Christian church in Jerusalem. And then here, he pens a letter. They believe it's the first letter written. It's to the early Christian Jews who are dispersed and they are struggling living this faith out. So he writes this letter, what we call the book of James. He writes this letter to encourage them to live out their faith. Then the next week, we learned about how faith grows, how faith grows. And we learned that it grows through testing, it exercises the muscle of faith testing does so that it matures and grows. And we looked at um, where faith comes from. Faith comes from the Word of God and doing the Word of God. And then last week, we looked at how faith affects our view and treatment of others. Tyler did an amazing job. In fact, everybody that has spoken over the last few weeks has done an amazing job. But Tyler just knocked it out of the park because he— told us that how we look, how faith guides us to see other people is equality. Because the ground at the cross is level. Jesus sees everybody equal. We all need Jesus, and he gives us his mercy. So what James does now in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, is he's going to take a deeper dive into faith. And he's going to check on their faith. But let's start with a prayer. Father God, we love you. And we are grateful as we encounter your word today and we learn about true faith. Father, I pray that you would do uh, a powerful, a good work in each of our lives. Even though we're not in person, Father, I pray the Spirit would connect us. The Holy Spirit would work in each one of us. And that would be forever changed because we've encountered the living God. And so this time is yours. We offer ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to start with the end. So we're going to look at verses 14 through 26 in James chapter 2. But I'm going to start with verse 26 to really lay the foundation of what James is talking about and what he does in James uh, 2.26. And through there, he really checks on their faith. He asked him, do you have the faith needed to champion life, everyday life and on into eternity? He asked him, do you have true faith? Do you have true faith? And that is what he's checking on here. Listen to what he says in verse 26. Uh, And what he's going to do is he's going to compare the nature of life to teach us the nature of faith. He says, verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. See, physically, what you need to be truly alive, he says, are two components. The body, right, the, the housing, and the spirit. He's talking here about the human spirit. He says you need the body and the spirit to be truly alive. And I have learned this truth uh, through something I've volunteered doing for about eight years now, and that's being a chaplain for fire and police. And in that position, most often, I am called to people dying or death scenes. And I come and I be with the people and the families in that time. And what I have learned, what I experience, experienced, is it is obvious, when life is not there, when there's not true life, when the Spirit is gone. I believe it is one of the greatest evidence of God that we are spiritual beings, because you just know, and many of you have been in that, that moment, that tough moment, where you can tell they're gone. Life is not here. True life is not here. And that's what James is doing. He's using that nature of life, our physical life, to teach us about the nature of our faith. So he goes on and he says this, says, what we learn about uh, true faith is that there's two components as well. The first is saving faith. And that's the gift of mercy and grace. Listen to Ephesians two. And I'm gonna read four through nine. Uh, you probably have eight and nine on the screen there. It reads this way. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So what he's saying here is uh, the first component is this gift of mercy and grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his victory over death through the grave. And he says it's not of us. There is nothing we can do. We can't be good enough or bad enough. It is all him, none us saving faith. Faith and faith alone. But listen, if we're in Christ, listen to 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Something happens. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are changed. We are made completely new. We are transformed when saving faith is present. We are made new. There's a transformation. And that is the second component that we see of true faith. And that is a living faith. That is when God does his work in us, his work comes out of us. Living faith. Listen to as Ephesians 2 goes on, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this is, that second component is an active, it's a living faith. It's the divine reaction of this saving grace that God gives us, overflowing out of our lives. It's a living faith. So true faith is saving faith plus living faith as one. You can't separate them. True faith. And that's what James is going to talk about all through here, and it sets the context. So what James is going to do now is he's he's going to take us to an examination of faith. So we can say, is true faith present? And he starts with, in verse 14, uh, with an evaluation of faith. And he's going to do, give us two evaluation questions. The first question, verse 14. And these evaluation questions are scenarios. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So, what he's asking is, is when you look at this scenario and he wants them to self reflect, does that faith have any power? When you look at this faith, faith, without action? Does it have any power? See, faith should have indicators of power, of God's power at work inside of you. Faith is a powerful, powerful element. Faith, it tells us, can move mountains. Faith can heal the sick. Faith can make the lame walk. It can restore sight in the blind. Faith can cast out demons. Faith sparks miracles, and it can restore relationships. Faith is powerful. And he's asking, does this faith, as you look at your faith, does it have power? Because the ultimate power of faith is it allows us to receive the work of Jesus Christ in our life, and it sets our eternal destiny That's how powerful faith is. That's how powerful faith is. And he's asking this question is, does your faith have the power of God in it? Does your faith have the power of God in it? He's asking to evaluate that. The second evaluation question, verses 15 through 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? See, so what he's asking, he says, if one of your brothers or sisters, a fellow believer comes and they have need, daily needs, and you just give them like, hey, be blessed, hope it works out for you. He says, what benefit, what profit is that? What purpose is that? So he's asking them what purpose does your faith have apart from yourself what purpose what greater good does it do our faith has purpose acts 1 8 uh, jesus makes it very clear here's what he tells the disciples he sends them to jerusalem after his resurrection he says meet me in jerusalem Right after this, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and the birth of the church. So here is the purpose of faith. He tells them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Faith. And you will be my witnesses, he says, in all the land. You will be my witnesses. What we are to be, the purpose of our faith, is to be the witnesses of Jesus. Ambassadors. the, the, The living, breathing examples of Jesus Christ. People should see Jesus in and through us. If someone says, I've never met Jesus, but they met you, there's a problem. And the question becomes, it's what James is asking. Does your faith have the purpose of God? Do you represent Jesus? And in verse 17, James says, okay, this is what I want you to discover. This is kind of the findings. It says, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, you've got to start with what is he not saying? He's not saying we are saved by works. And how we know this, because it could be confusing if you're looking at the English translation here. You have to hold context. What is James talking about? Who is he talking to? He is talking to believers, people who have faith. And the scenario he gives to someone who claims they have faith, not that they do have faith. He says, you say you have faith. So that's the scenario, okay? It, this is not somebody who has saving faith. He's challenging just a professing faith. So what he's saying here is faith without action, uh, proves a dead or a non-existent faith. It's not true faith. So faith without action is just talk. It's not real. It is not true faith. And it won't work. It won't work. That's what James is concerned with. He wants a faith that works for them. And true faith works. So what he's going to do is, how do you identify true faith? So he moves on in the text. Uh, and gives us some evidence. How can we know? So, the evidence of true faith, verses 18 through 25, um, and he really says this is there is evidence. Verses 18, 20, and 24 all say the same thing, and they're a reflection of Matthew 7:20. Matthew 7:20 says this: "By their fruit you will recognize them," meaning there is evidence of true faith. And so he gives us three evidences that he's going to point out. Verse 19, acknowledgement alone is not evident. The verse reads, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So what he's saying to them, he's saying, you believe that God is one. And, and he, he's referring to the Shema, which is the, uh, the prayer out of Deuteronomy 6. And a Jewish child, it's their first prayer they learn. They repeat it in the morning and night every day. And for a Jewish person, they hope the Shema prayer is the last words they speak before they die. And it starts off as God is one. And he says, you know, obviously they're doing a a great job at that. But he shocks them. He says, even the demons do that. Even they profess and know that God is one. And they have an emotion to it. They shudder, they have fear. But they are the enemies of God. It's not an evidence. Now, profession Knowledge, emotion, those are elements of evidence, but alone they are not evidence. Because what happens is when that is the only thing you have, it's head knowledge. It's all up here. It's all here. It's all this high. In Luke 10 27, Jesus says, No, it needs to sink deeper. Listening, He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says it needs to go from here and sink deeper. True faith lives deep within us, our whole being. Now, true faith isn't about perfection, so don't miss this point. True faith is a growing faith. It starts with a saving faith, we're fully saved in Christ, and then it starts with a maturing, growing faith. But it's sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into our lives. That is an evidence of true faith, not just profession and feeling. Because the danger when it's all up here is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. We say this and we do something different. Our works are different. And interesting enough, hypocrisy is the number one reason given of why people reject the faith. I don't want any part of that because of the hypocrites. Now, I've got a lot to say about that, but to show you how powerful it is, and it becomes a destroyer and a killer of faith when we live up here and not here. It's a great hindrance of true faith. So, God wants us to live deep within our lives, full of connected. Saving faith, living faith. The next evidence he gives, verses 21 through 24, is obedience is evidence. Obedience is evidence. The verse reads Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So James gives a lofty example Father Abraham, he is the father of our, our earthly father of our faith. Abraham, God spoke to him, moved him to the promised land, and said that I am going to make you the father of multitude of nations. The covenant is going to come and start with you, and you're going to have a child, and he's going to help you be fruitful and multiply these many, many nations. And Abraham walked with God in some highs and some lows in his faith, journey. But later in his life, he had this child, at 100 years old. But that was his heir. And then God asked him something. This son of his, Isaac, the heir, I want you to go up to Mount Moriah. mountain I'm going to show you. Ends up being Mount Moriah. And I want you to put him on the altar and sacrifice him to me. Abraham did it. And that's what they're referring to. They all know the story that James is talking about. And they get this. See, what God did as he counted Abraham's response from his mature faith, his obedience, he counted to him as righteous as being right with God. And he was called God's friend. See, because what it did is his obedience confirmed what had already taken place in his heart. And I love this. In this old age of this distant faith, uh, he didn't grow stale or stagnant. He kept obeying. It's powerful, this this great example. So for us, it's interesting. When I talk about obedience and we hear about obedience, we usually take a step back because what we hear is, oh, you're going to make me. See, that is not biblical obedience. Biblical obedience comes from relationship. Listen to John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You see what that is filled with, with you know, the obedience. We keep his commandments are not burdensome because they're coming out of relationship. Because he knows us. We know him, and we love him. He loves us. And so what we do is we become grateful followers, not obedient robots. And it's this beautiful relationship and partnership. So our obedience, our grateful following is evidence of true faith. The third evidence he gives us is in verse 25 is that choice is evidence. Choice is evidence. Verse 25, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So I love it. This is his, what I call his lowly example. Now he uses, I mean, you just start going through the list of why she doesn't rank, if you put that in quotes, with Abraham, Father Abraham. She's a woman. She's a Gentile. She's a prostitute. uh, He uses her example, which they all know from their history. But who Rahab was is Rahab was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. And Jericho had um, nations in it, um, but this was part of the land God promised his people. So Joshua was leading God's people, uh, and they were about to enter into this promised land. So Joshua sent spies in to Jericho, right, to survey things so they could plan their attack. Well, the king of Jericho got wind that spies were there and got wind that they were uh, with Rahab because that's where they were at. And so he he approached Rahab, sent word to her. And what she did is she hid the spies and she led the king on a wild goose chase to find the spies. And then she ultimately sent the spies another way. Where they're hidden, she approached them, and she said this. She says, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. This is a profession of faith. She says, I've heard what God did taking you out of Egypt. I know the nations that you fought, and I know that this land that we're in is the land that God has given you. Your God is the real God. So we know she's a believer, a young believer, young in her faith. But here's the point, why choice is evidence. She made a choice for God in that moment. She made a choice for God in that moment. She didn't even know how things would turn out. It was filled with danger. She could have been killed. Spies could have been killed. Her whole family could have been killed. But she trusted God. She trusted God. God. See, for us, we are called to do the same, to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We trust God even when we don't understand or we can't see. As I was going through this point and studying, this illustration kept popping into my mind. So Maybe I apologize for it. I don't know. And so I'm not encouraging you to watch this movie, okay? But it's a movie that Tom Cruise is in in the 90s called Days of Thunder, okay? And in the movie, Cole Trickle, who Tom Cruise plays, is a NASCAR racer. And he's up and coming, uh, gets in an accident, and now he's struggling, trusting, you know, the elements of the race. So the big scene is – He is going, and here's a crash ahead of him. And they have spotters, played by Robert Duvall. And that spotter knows and sees things that the driver can't. And in the past, what Cole would do is he would blow up his motor so he wouldn't have to go through it intentionally. But in this great moment, he's listening to the spotter, and he says, here is your line. Go here, and then have faith and drive through it. And the big scene, of course, is he drives through it. He drives it, white-knuckled. He doesn't let up on the gas, and boom, he goes through. The big moment of victory. And it's kind of what's happening here. Rahab can't see. She doesn't know fully what's ahead of her, but God does. The spotter does. And she trusts him. We are called to trust God, and our choices are the evidence that trust is in fact there. Again, just thinking about it, thinking, hey, that'd be a good idea. No, it's when you step in it, you drive through it. That is the evidence of true faith. So our choices, our choices for God, our choices in faith, are evidence of true faith. So now we come back to verse 26, kind of where we started, you know, this end point, this end point. And it reads again, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James is checking on faith. Is it true faith? This, the faith that you're living, is it true faith, he's asking? Is saving faith and living faith, are they together? Are they one? Is your faith alive, he's asking. Is your faith alive? See, true faith, is alive because it is found in Jesus Christ uh, who is alive and produces life in us and through us. So true faith is alive. Faith that is alive, I love this, faith that is alive works. That's what James is getting at. That's why James is pushing them to examine their faith. Faith that is alive works. And that's my prayer for you. I so desperately, North Shore, want your faith to work. I'm not interested in just head level following a religious system. I know what God wants. I know what I want in my life and what I want for you and everybody that is in North Shore or looks toward North Shore is that they'll see a people that has faith that works because their faith is alive. That's why James is asking them to examine. So the right thing for us to do is to examine our faith. Now I want to give you some questions to think about. Does your faith have the power of God? Take a second. Look at your faith. Does it have the power of God? The second question. Does your faith have the purpose of God? Does your faith have the purpose of God? As you look at your faith, do you see God's purposes over self and your purposes? Just a little deeper dive. What does your faith need life? What does your faith need life? Is that the, the grace point, Do you need to allow the mercy and grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his victory over death? Do you need to receive that and allow that in? Maybe you need the movement from your head to your heart. You need to allow faith to sink deeper. Maybe it's your own choices. Maybe you need to trust Jesus more. Even when you can't fully understand, you fully can't see, that you need to trust him based on who he is. Choices. Could be obedience. To live out what you know. What I love about North Shore, there's a lot of people that have been believers a long time. But sometimes our faith can get stale and stagnant. Maybe we need to live out what we know. Let that life come out more. Become more grateful followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to put these questions up on the screen and just have some music uh, playing. And I want to invite you just to ponder these questions. Talk about them in your homes. Talk about them with your children. Uh, and we'd love to pray with you. So I want to invite you into our Zoom prayer room. If you just want to talk, you want to pray, come on in there. Our elders, our pastors are there and you'll have an opportunity to go into a, a private video room with a, a, with a pastor or an elder um, and pray and talk. And we'd love to do that. Let's connect North Shore. I love you and God bless. Let me close in prayer. Father God, do your good work. We want true faith. Faith that is alive and faith that works. But Father, I know it, it takes us in a place of saying yes and to surrender and to step in there. So I pray in every heart and every home that people would move toward you, Jesus. So I pray your Holy Spirit would fall in each home. And a powerful work would start even right now as I pray. In the name of Jesus, I proclaim the powerful work of the Holy Spirit over uh, our hearts, our homes, and our communities. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Again, God bless you and I love you, North Shore.